Would you stand or remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 46, 28 through chapter 47, verses 12. Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me, and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the Atlantic Ocean, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession of the land of Egypt in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Linda. Thanks, Jesse and Tara, for leading in Lem's absence. He will be back, I hope. <laughs> you never know with Lem. He just, just kidding. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story of Joseph that we've been walking our way through. We pray that you would teach us from it this afternoon, that we would um, understand and see um, the goodness that you, have, that you have in yourself and that you provide to us. So we pray that you would uh, do for us now what we cannot do for ourselves, to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to listen and receive from your word. We pray in your name, amen. We're in the middle of three weeks here, this kind of season of the Joseph story, asking the question we started asking last week, which is, what do we mean when we say God will provide? Put that up there, Frank, we'll go right to, right to slides. Just right, we're not gonna mess around today. Um, this is three, three weeks asking this question, what does it mean that God will provide? How do we live in light of God's provision? And last week, the first answer to that question was found in this encounter that Jacob has with God, where God comes and reassures him of his presence, reassures him of his promises, um, gives him these promises and his presence as the provision for Jacob's journey of faith. We talked about the fact that one of the things we mean when we say God will provide is that God provides the resources and the provision that we need to know and be known by him, this this journey of faith that we're all on. And the big truth from last week was this idea that even death is not a failure of God to provide for us, that his, his provision is deeper and wider and more robust and more permanent than the outcomes of our lives. And so even when all seems lost, God is still there. He's still providing. He still has his promises. We're still receiving provision from him. And that is essential for the life of faith, that conviction to believe, as I said last week, that death is not a failure of God to provide. I think without that conviction, the life of faith looks a lot weaker, looks a lot more frail. But there's a difficulty in that truth that I've been wrestling with this week, and even as I presented it last week, there's a problem, I think, with it. Because it could seem like listening to that last week, hearing that death is not a failure of God to provide for you, that he provides his promises and his presence, you could hear that and think that God provides his promises and his presence to you and nothing else. Right? That he doesn't guarantee any specific outcomes. <laughs> he doesn't promise to prevent bad things from happening to you. He gives you his promises. He gives you his presence. And you could conclude that, well, okay, God provides for my faith, but for my happiness, I'm kind of on my own. God cares about my faith. He cares about the journey of faith. He's providing for that. But everything else, all these other journeys that you're on, the journey of your family, the journey of your work, the journey of your home, the journey of your kids, whatever, all the other life journeys that you're on that God's just kind of like, I care about faith. Everything else kind of, you just go do you and best of luck to you. It could be what you could conclude from that, right? We have all these other earthly needs, Right? This is the thing that, that occupies my mind from the minute I get up to the minute I go to sleep or, like last night, struggled to sleep. I need sleep in order to survive. I need food in order to get to the end of today. I need shelter to live in. I need 
health for my body. I need relationships to supply life and happiness. I need a babysitter to watch my children. I have actual, tangible, physical needs. And to read last week's text and to think about it, we might conclude that God really doesn't care about our happiness at all. That he is kind of like, hey, I'm providing for faith. Everything else is up to you. And it could lead us to do one of two things. We could just give up and be like, well, that just means this life is going to be sort of hellish and we're just going to like wait till the end and hope that God provides happiness on the other side. That's one way. Or we could say, well, I'm just going to provide for my own happiness as best as I can. Win some, lose some, the chips will fall where they may. And I think for some of us, we are trying to be good at allowing God, trusting God with the big things, the things of death and faith. But the little things are things that's much harder to think that God is involved in or cares about. But that is not the biblical picture of God's provision at all. It's a very incomplete. It's an important truth that even death is not a failure of God to provide for you, but it's incomplete. Last week we looked at Philippians chapter 4 where Paul makes this crazy statement where he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. The word content is this word for happiness, for satisfaction. I have learned, Paul says, in whatever situation I am to be happy. That for Paul, happiness is not a pipe dream. Paul's not just like, I'm just going to suck it up and just get through it. He's like, hey, whatever is happening, I have learned the secret to being happy. You've heard before somebody probably said to you, God wants you to be holy, not happy. That's not what the Bible says about God. (laughs) God actually teaches through his word that he is deeply concerned for and providing for our contentment, our satisfaction, and our happiness. That what Paul says, that he's learned to be content in every situation, is not just for Paul, but it's also for us. God's actually inviting us into a constant state of contentedness. I'm going to use today, I'm going to use the word contented and the word happy interchangeably. You may think that they're different words. I like to think of happy as being another way of talking about contentedness, because real happiness comes from that deep seated satisfaction, not just kind of happiness out here, I'm happy when things go my way, but like deep, contented, satisfied happiness is what we're talking about. And this part of the Joseph story, I think, actually points the way to this happiness. So let's reset the stage of the Joseph story. At the end of last week's text, Jacob took all his family, 70 people or so, and they went down, this is verse 26, they went down to Egypt to meet and you get the whole genealogy, which we didn't read, but that's this kind of collection reminding us who is in J- Jacob's family as he goes down. And in verse 28, the beginning of our text today, they go into this land of Goshen, which is a part of Egypt, which is multiple, multiple times described as like a great place. And two chapters ago, in chapter 45, when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he actually told them that they were going to live in Goshen. In chapter 45, verse 10, Joseph says, You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. And in verse 18 of chapter 45, he says to them, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. So here they come, and they get into the best part of Egypt, and they get in there. And then in verse 29 of our text today, Joseph and Jacob are reunited. Actually, it kind of strikes me as like a reversal 
of the prodigal son story. This is like the prodigal father. Like Jacob's been away, but he's the one, he's the one, like the royal one in his chariot, like running out to meet his father. And it feels, it could feel like this is the high point of the story, but the author doesn't really spend a lot of time on it. They get reunited for one verse, they cry a little bit, and then Joseph goes into host mode. He gets out his like strategy whiteboard, and he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to go into Pharaoh. Here's how we're going to, like, Joseph's, he's, he's providing for them. He's getting things together, and he's working on this. And this entire narrative from the moment that Joseph reveals himself to his brothers in chapter 45 until today is all about God meeting Jacob's family's earthly needs. You see that? He's providing them land. He's providing them a safe place to live. He's providing them relationships. He's reuniting Jacob and Joseph. Like God is providing for Jacob and his family's needs. And this is the way that Joseph tells them to interpret it. Remember back when Joseph reveals himself, he says this to them. Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me here before you to preserve for you a remnant and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and there I will provide for you. Joseph has said to his brothers, look, God is all that has happened is God providing for your physical, tangible, earthly needs. He's providing good things, not just good things, but like the best of the land for Jacob's family, right? He's going to be preventing poverty, reunifying their family. They're going to have a place to live. They're going to have food for all of their people. Like their, their needs are being provided for good things are happening to Jacob's family, right? Jacob was told that the primary promise is future, but right now God is raining down good things on Jacob's head and Jacob's family. And it's a good moment as we read this to stop and ponder the good things that God does provide. God's abundant provision for us. Without irony, without skepticism, but out, without yeah buts, <laughs> just feeling the weight of the good things that God provides for us. One of my favorite authors says it like this, good things do happen. A baffling part of walking with a God who does not keep bad things from happening is that it is clear that he makes good things happen also and often. Every day of our lives holds relentless beauty, mercy, grace upon grace. That despite the suffering of the world, this, the, the earth is a playground for humanity. This, this is a good world. Chris and I, I think it was on Peacock, we just started watching this, like uh, one of those Planet Earth things, not David Attenborough, but like a newer version of it, and they're just showing you all of the things that are, and the world is an amazing place. I don't know if you've been to the national parks. Have you been to a beach? You sit on a beach, and you look out at the ocean. That's good. It feels good. And you sit, we went to the lake last week, and besides the smell of the lake, the lake is good. My boy's just fishing. There's so much joy in their face to catch a fish that's like this big. That's goodness. Right, you, we live in a place where you get to walk in the fall and the leaves crunch under your feet, where you can lay out in the grass and look at the stars. Remember the first time I went to Africa, we were way, 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 way out, further away from things than I had ever been, and I went outside at night, and I literally was, I was like, I literally didn't know there was this many stars. Like the black almost, the blackness of the sky almost disappears when it's dark enough to see the stars, and it's like, that is amazing. Right? There's the smell of cedar. You know what cedar smells like when it burns? That's 
That's good. I love the cicadas. I've been walking out every single night. We live in the woods and it's deafening. We can barely have a conversation. That's God's wonder and beauty. There's pie. Whew. Sourdough bread with Kerrygold butter. Right? You know what I'm talking about? That's good. I recently discovered Scottish salmon. You know what Scottish salmon is? We like we were eating this salmon. We bought this salmon somewhere, and we started. And I was like, "This is amazing!" <laughs> and so I just googled Scottish salmon, and like the first Google result was like, "Scottish salmon is known to be among the best in the world." I was like, "Yes, it is. This is so good, <laughs> right?" We can go for. A, you can get up right now and go for a walk through the woods. You can ride a bike. You can go to sleep and have deep, refreshing, nourishing to your body, good sleep. Right? You know what the sound of a home run sounds like? We watched the home run derby. That sound of the bat on the ball of a home run, that's a good sound. That's a soul-satisfying sound. Right? Took the boys to the Phillies game a couple, a couple weeks ago when we were up in Philadelphia, and it was, only, it was one nothing. they were losing in the bottom of the ninth inning, and we were like, all right, well, we came to this game. At least I got to come to the stadium. And there was a walk-off home run for the Phillies. That's good. That's God providing good things. <laughs> Not so much for the Marlins, but for me and my boys. Right, your body is functioning enough to be here in this room today. Babies are born every day. People recover from illness. Good things are happening every minute of every day. People are being reconciled. There's homecomings happening. People are kind. Occasionally, my kids sleep through the night. Good things. Somewhere, some right now, people are newly married. People are watching the northern lights. People are getting into college. Right? There's color and music and technology and travel. You don't have to be a Christian to understand all of this, to experience the wonder and the goodness and the beauty of the world that God has made. And we get to be in it every day. I could go on like this for another four hours to talk about the goodness and the delight and the wonder of being alive in the world that God has made, to be able to breathe right now amidst the pain and suffering and tragedy in the world is a world of good, amazing, wonderful, delightful things that come from God. And that's what James tells us, right? He says, every good gift is from above. That every good thing you've ever experienced, the big moments, the little moments, the tiny moments, that they are tiny theophanies. They are encounters with the goodness of the person of God. You're brushing up against him every time you sense that joy in your soul, the fountain of goodness and delight that is the world that God made for humans, for us to explore, to enjoy, to experience. But there's no day when you don't have these experiences. There's not a day when you don't eat food, when you don't take a breath, when you don't experience the goodness of God pouring out on your head, the God who is the giver of good gifts. And yet, even in the midst of that goodness, the abounding, never-ending goodness of God, we have this struggle and the struggle is on display in like neon colors in this text. Right? J Jacob has just had this incredible encounter with God, right? God spoke to him. 
And then he goes down and he meets his long lost son. Like this is the end of the movie. This is the like right off into the sunset, happily ever after moment. They're getting given by the most powerful ruler in the entire world, the best of his land for them to like. The, the goodness is just raining down on Jacob's head, just raining down. He's getting a huge dose of God's just free gifts of provision and goodness and enjoyment. And Jacob ta- Joseph takes his brothers in and he coaches them how to talk to Pharaoh. And then, then he brings Jacob to talk to Pharaoh. And I want you to hear this again, 40, 47 verse 7. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. And then he says this, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. Few? He's 130 years old. Do you know anyone 130? No, you don't. He's 130. We can't even think of someone who's lived that long. Evil? Jacob's had his share of trouble, but evil? He's in Egypt. He's got the best of the land. He's been reunited with his son. He's met God multiple times. He has 70 people in his family. God is on the way to providing all that he has promised. And Jacob's like, my life is short. It's too short, and it's too evil. This is, Jacob gets one sentence before the most powerful person in the world to describe his life. And what does he say? Too short, too evil. Has anyone in the Bible received more gifts than Jacob? Maybe, but it's, it's a short list. Right? Has anyone, can anyone in the Bible claim to have better access to God than Jacob? Maybe, but it's a short list. Can anyone claim to have less promises or less provision from God than Jacob? Hardly anyone. And yet Jacob has these seeds of discontent that he even tells Pharaoh why. He says, my years have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers. In other words, he wants what he can't have. He wants what he doesn't have. God provides, and all Jacob sees is God's failure to provide something else. Like these... His comparison is like the seed of discontent in his heart. And that discontent seed grows into expectations of what God should provide for him. And that grows into this trunk of entitlement. And that entitlement bush produces the toxic fruit of discontent. Discontent is the opposite of happiness. And Jacob has it right here. Few and evil are the days of my life. See, discontent is this posture of heart that believes that it deserves better. It's happiness that's tied to outcomes of your own choice. Not satisfied, not content, not happy. Unmet expectations about the way that life should go. It's governed by this arbitrary entitlement of things that we think we deserve that these good gifts of God become not gifts but wages that God owes to us. I am, owed, <laughs> I am owed a life that is neither short nor evil. I want a life that's long and good. That's what Jacob is demanding. And I, 
I read this and I'm like, how often is this my own posture? Maybe not here at church. I was like, everything's good. But in my own heart, I I deserve better than this. I deserve different. I covet and I strive and I fight and I'm embittered at God for not giving me this, that, or the other thing that I see someone else has. I complain. And I, I think the word discontent may be one of the most common adjectives I could use for many people that I feel like I engage with, including myself. Discontent, discontent. That God's good, the goodness that we talked about, it's just not enough. <laughs> my sleep's not enough. My food's not enough. My kid's not enough. My family's not enough. My expectations have not been met. Small expectations, medium expectations, big expectations. And we get embittered at God. This is what I talked about last week, the idea of the, you know, the way reviewers leave reviews on, on the hotel websites. It's like, yeah, I, I survived, but like the, the guy next door snored too loud and the Sheets were too thin and the mini bar wasn't stocked. God really couldn't have done better than this? I feel like that characterizes at least an inclination of my own heart day to day about a job, about situations, about the kids. And the big question is what would God have to do for you to be happy? What would He have to give you? What would He have to, what would he have to prevent for you to, to, for you to say, Five stars to God. And I think Jacob gives us the answer. The answer is nothing. There's nothing that God can give you in this world that will make you say, good job, God. As long as your happiness is tied to outcomes in your life, you will never find contentment. With what are you discontent in your life? your job, your family, your spouse, particular situation? What standard are you holding God to? You say, I need you to give me this or this and then I will will be happy. How do you feel in your heart like God has failed you? It's it's easy to find these places. Where do you find yourself unhappy? (laughs) Because contentedness leads to deep happiness. And I think if we zoom out on the big story of Joseph, the whole story points a different way to the, to the root of happiness, real solid happiness and contentment. And I admit there's a little, my own speculation here, but I think this is instructive speculation. Just to contrast the way that Jacob and Joseph seem to interact with what God has done in this entire situation. Right, Joseph, throughout the story, seems to be this calm, open-handed, receiving whatever comes person. And Jacob is sort of measuring God by his arbitrary standard. He's like, I didn't live 150 years, therefore, God, you failed. And Jacob's like sitting in prison like, okay, whatever you want from me. Joseph, at least from appearances, seems joyful and thankful and delighted in the good things that he's receiving. And Jacob feels embittered and angry and unable to see the goodness that God is giving to him. Joseph is like on the lookout for God's goodness amidst the rubble of his family and of, jo- of, of Egypt. And, and Jacob seems to be keeping a record of God's apparent failures. Joseph knows God is renewing all things and sort of dishing out goodness as he goes. And Jacob's frustrated at not having enough right now. Joseph knows the theme of our series 
He knows that God is working in broken places to fulfill his promises in surprising ways, and Jacob knows that whatever God's doing is not enough. One has happiness and the other one doesn't. One is content and the other one is discontent. Joseph's motives are unknown, but I think the rest of the Bible points the way to contentment. The contentment and joy and happiness are things that must be practiced. Tish Harrison Warren says, joy is both a gift and a practice, but it isn't primarily a feeling any more than self-control or faithfulness are feelings. It is a muscle that we can strengthen and exercise. Joy, contentment is a muscle that we can exercise. This expectation and entitlement that we have, the things we expect or demand from God, that will always lead us to discontent. The opposite of that is gratitude. Gratitude for the goodness and the good things that God is pouring out on us. It's a posture of receiving this day with our hands open. To see every single thing that we experience that's good as above the, above the waterline, as a benefit, a positive, a taste of God. Tish continues, to choose joy is to see all existence as a gift. Gratitude gives birth to joy because gratitude teaches us to receive life as a gift in the moment we're in, regardless of what lies ahead. The gifts of your breath that you have in your lungs right now, a gift from God. He doesn't have to give it to us. It's a gift. Every moment you have with your kids, every work day, the fact that your knees work enough for you to walk in here, that's a gift. And we can receive that with gratitude leading to happiness and enjoyment and contentment or we can look at God and say, no, I wish, I wish you would have given me this or that. I need this. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This, this is Paul's secret. He knows that every single thing, every moment, every experience is a gift from a good God. That's why the gospel is structured the way it is, right? By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God to teach us that everything is a gift. I think in this way, God provides not just for our journeys of faith, but also for our contentment and our happiness in the now. Not some kind of lightweight, cheery, cheeriness all the time, right? Not some eternal optimism where we ignore pain and we've talked about lament and it's important to to admit and acknowledge the very real and terrible things happening to us and to the world. We don't ignore that. But to have in the midst of that this deep, contented satisfaction that whatever God brings is God bringing us goodness. To look and spend our days counting the endless goodness ready to be received as and with joy. And this is the invitation from God to us. Receive this day as a gift. Revel in it. The God who just goes around making pie and baseball and relationships and people. This is a God who loves to give good things. So you trust God with the big things. Will you trust him with the little ones? Receiving whatever comes today with open hands. And to close with Henry Nowen says, It is a truly converted life 
in which God has become the center of it all. There, gratitude is joy, and joy is gratitude, and everything becomes a surprising sign of God's presence. Everything becomes a delightful, surprising sign of God's presence. That's the invitation to practice this week, to be delighted in the good that God has made, or will you choose to measure how God fails to meet your standards, your expectations? That's the path to discontent. (laughs) The path to contentment and happiness is to first embrace that even death is not a failure of God to provide, and between now and then, God is just showering us with good gifts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness that you have made this world, that you allow us to be in it, that you shower us with good mercy and beauty and wonder. May our eyes not be closed by the things that we wish we had, the things that we demand, the things that we want, but trusting you with the big things, with our journey of faith, that we would also be able to trust you each day, that we would encounter each day with open hands to receive the goodness that you are bringing to our doorstep today. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.